hey there, we are almost done. This is our last video in our last week of the Kingdom of God series. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. I hope you have as well. Uh, this week, we are looking at common errors around the Kingdom of God when it comes to the Kingdom of God. And in this video, we are looking at the error of overemphasizing the heavenly aspect of the kingdom at the expense of the earthly aspect of it. It's the idea that he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. This can also be expressed in an overly pessimistic view of the world and the future. Right? The world is just sinking and our job is to get as many life vests to people, salvation, as possible before the whole thing just goes under. It's a view that minimizes the goodness of creation and the power of salvation in the here and now. And Christians have made this mistake in various ways. Uh, it can manifest when Christians take kind of a commune mentality, right? Christians cluster themselves off from the rest of the world, and the world is just going to hell in a handbasket, so we're just trying to survive out here, away from everybody else, till Jesus gets back. But it can also be seen in certain types of evangelism, where it's almost like the evangelist or the church is just trying to hand out, get out of hell free cards to everybody. You know, line up if you want to get out a hell free card and then just stick it in your back pocket and pull it out when you need it and go on and live the rest of your life just as you were living it before. It doesn't see salvation as a whole life transformation that starts now. I want us to look at two things that show us the importance of the kingdom of God in the here and now so that we don't put such an emphasis on just the, the future kingdom. Oh, I can't wait till I get to heaven and get out of this horrible world that we minimize or forget the present kingdom that is among us. And so the two things I want us to see is understanding the idea of the gospel and then understanding the idea of new creation. So first, understanding the gospel. First, we see that the kingdom of God has implications for the here and now in that the news of Jesus' resurrection was called the gospel, or literally translated from the Greek, good news, uh, euangelion. Now, we're so familiar with this term gospel that we just automatically uh, think of the Christian gospel, and we miss its original meaning and how original people understood, the original hearers understood that word. So back in Jesus' day and time, uh, the newspapers were people. They were called heralds, and their job was to go from city to city throughout the Roman Empire and announce the news, announce the good news. So, for example, a herald comes to the city of Athens. He takes to the public square and says, people of Athens, a new Roman emperor has just been enthroned. He's conquered our enemies. He's brought peace and justice to our land, and here's what it means for you today. And the New Testament takes that word, good news, which was used by kind of these local newscasters that went from city to city announcing the news of the empire, and it applies that word and that concept to Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, we often, though, think of the gospel more as the idea of good advice, not good news, right? As, advice is something that you can take a leaf. Here's the gospel and, and try it out. See if it helps your life. But news is something that has definitively happened in the present or past, and it has implications for your life right now. And it's important for us to remember the gospel is, first of all, good news. N.T. Wright puts it uh, this way. These ancient heralds didn't mean, oh, here's a new sort of imperial existence that you might like to see if it suits you. No, they mean Tiberius or Nero or whoever is Lord of the world. He demands your loyalty, your allegiance, and of course, 
your taxes. These heralds weren't giving people advice. You know, oh, here's the new emperor, you know, see if you like him or not. They were telling people, your whole life is going to change because of this news. We see the angels doing something similar when the women come to the empty tomb at the resurrection. What do they say? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. They are announcing, proclaiming news. And as the apostles travel around, like those ancient heralds, news announcers, they are proclaiming the news that Jesus is risen from the dead. And here is how that changes your life today. There is a new king. He has conquered the greatest weapon of the Roman Empire, crucifixion. And now he has set up a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, that will far outlast Rome or any other empire. Jesus is king. So does he have your allegiance? They didn't proclaim a future king that, you know, wait around till he comes back. A king once you get to heaven. No, they proclaimed a king who is all-powerful and who is on the throne today. And that will change your life. Now, how will it change your life? Well, that brings us to this second way, understanding this idea of new creation. And let's kind of look at what happens when you become a citizen of God's kingdom. Look at 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It doesn't say he's like a new creation. It doesn't say he will be a new creation. No, you right now are a new creation if you've put your faith in trust, not uh, trust in Christ, not later creation, not like new creation, not refurbished creation, not future creation, not on the to-do list creation, but done, finished, new, new creation right now. Okay, well, how? Well, in verse 16, Paul says, from now on. Okay, well, when is that? What is this now? Well, if we look at the passage, we realize he's talking about Christ's resurrection. The resurrection is the first act of new creation in our world. The basic movement of the Christian life is that, well, we live, we're born into this world, we live in this world, we die, go into the ground and are buried, and then one day we will be resurrected with a new body and live in the new heavens and new earth. And while we have to wait till Jesus returns and that grand resurrection for our bodies to become new creations, spiritually, we have the spark of new creation inside us right now. Think of it this way. Jesus modeled our life, right? So he was born into this sinful world. He lived, he suffered under sin, uh, the sin of the world, and then he died and he was buried and then he was resurrected. See, the, the, the kind of steps of Jesus' life match perfectly over our life, but with one big difference. Instead of having to wait till the end of time to be resurrected, Jesus got to go skip to the front of the line and be resurrected before anybody else. His resurrection took only three days after his death, where ours will take, who knows, maybe three millennia, 300 years, three years. We don't know. This is why Paul calls Christ the first fruits of resurrection. 
that you see Christ is already living in his new creation body. That the type of resurrection that Christ had is the type of resurrection that you will have. And remember, to be a Christian means you are united with Christ. You are united with him in his death, where he put your sin to the grave, but you are also united with him in his resurrection. And that means the resurrection life of Christ is operating in you through the Holy Spirit. And then one day that resurrection life will work its way into affecting your body in the grand resurrection at the end of time, where then finally you'll be living with a new creation body and soul. And what that means though for you in the here and now is there is a bit, a spark of heaven in you right now. Because what makes heaven heaven? It is the presence of God. And God is in you if you're a Christian. You're a new creation. And while we all still deeply struggle with sin and temptation and failure, we cannot forget God is in us. Resurrection life is ours. And if that is true, that must change how you live in the here and now. Well, that brings us to the end of our study. And I, I hope it's helped you remember what is our hope for a better future? Everyone has a kingdom vision. What is a good life? How do we get there? Right? And right now in our nation, we see both kind of ends of our political spectrum promoting kingdom visions that in the end are not aligned with Christ's kingdom vision. And yet it'll be so tempting for us to get pulled into one or two of those areas so we don't feel alone, where we feel like we have other people like us. And yet we must hold on to God's kingdom vision because that alone is the kingdom vision that is able to deal with the root problems in our world and actually offer a solution for them. I want to close with this passage from Ephesians 1, where Paul essentially prays for God's people to understand the kingdom vision. He writes, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Friends, that's our hope for today and for the future.